Why would you do a pull up? Like what is because it? when because when the tune is so fucking fire, you're just like fuck off, play it again. <laughs> do it again. Play again. Play again. Nah, fuck off. Wheel it. Play again. And that whole concept of like just wheeling a tune. Welcome to the Mr. Bill Podcast. I'm Bill's manager, Anand Harsh. I'm also editor-in-chief of the Unstock.com. Bill's guest today is Rezo, a legend in drum and bass, dubstep, and halftime. Most recently, he's been a fixture of the Slug Wife crew and put out some monster tunes with them. As you're hearing this episode today, he's actually got a three-track liquid drum and bass EP out for Bandcamp Day. You can pick up the Cloudfall EP, and while you're doing that, maybe head over to mrbill.bandcamp.com to get some free, free goodies. Just a thought. Thanks to everyone supporting the show and keeping us going on our Patreon. You can get early access to episodes, bonus content. There's some exclusive merch options coming your way. And you get a nice warm feeling in your tummy every time you listen to the show. You can subscribe at patreon.com slash Tunes. Finally, please head over to MrBillsTunes.com to sign up to become a hardcore Abletoneer. You get full access to Bill's project files and tutorials, access to nearly 30 sample packs, and so much more. All right, here's Bill's chat with Rezo. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you are listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're 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 listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Okay, I think we're good. Sick. Literally recording fucking everything. <laughs> oh, That's man. awesome. I don't think anyone has uh, has gone to this degree yet with this podcast, including myself. I don't think man, anyone... I've, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts, so I'm yeah. just like aware of like making like back up your backups. Do yeah, you, know you, I mean? you get a lot of podcasts, right? Even on the professional level, like I listened to a Sam Harris one yesterday. Um, where he was talking to Tristan Harris, which is like the guy who was um, in that Social Dilemma documentary on Netflix recently. And, uh, okay, I haven't seen that yet. Super interesting. But um, I guess my point is that uh, the even on Sam Harris's level, like Tristan's audio, or I guess it's on Tristan's end, wasn't it, that his audio fucked out. So even on a podcast that big, they were using Zoom audio as a backup because, or Skype audio <laughs> did, rather. Because Yeah, um, I've just I've, I've listened to enough podcasts where it's like, yeah, make sure you have more than one thing running. So I'm just like, cool, contingencies. You know, two is one, one is none. <laughs> <laughs> nice, yeah, I appreciate All that, that shit. Yeah, man. Speaking of The Social Dilemma, man, that was a good documentary. I suggest watching it. Basically, it was about um, <clears throat> how, how social media like Facebook, Google, uh, Twitter, YouTube, all that stuff has kind of like rotted our minds and it's... Uh, all the algorithms oh, have been so designed in such a way to persuade uh, our, our behaviors and, and our thought processes. Like, for instance, with YouTube, right? If mm. you go to YouTube and you watch a video about, I don't know, um, 
BMX biking accidents or something, right? Like YouTube will right. instantly throw another video at, at you about BMX biking accidents because the algorithm wants to be like, well, will you click again? Will you watch another one? Um, and then it's it's crazy. Like the lizard algorithms are just yeah, it, it, it's running amok and it, it's 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 insane. You know, I keep seeing things um, like uh, sharing stuff with Cursor where it's like. Uh, you, you know, you get served things from Wish, where it's like, oh, what about this? And it's and it's and it's trying to show you, and it's just like serving you up like such ridiculous stuff. Oh <laughs> man, uh, yeah, uh, it's my. We're living in crazy times. It's it, it, it's hard. <laughs> yeah, the other crazy yeah. thing that I took from that documentary and from the podcast I listened to preceding that. Uh, was that everyone's reality online is completely different from everyone Absolutely. else's. Like because of these algorithms, right? Like you, when you go on YouTube or Facebook or Twitter or anything, you see a completely different thing to me. Yeah, like totally. Everything, all the advertising you're seeing, all the um, posts you're seeing, like everything. It's like, a, and because we spend so much time on our computers, that like that is a huge part of our reality, right? Like what is coming in through through no, the completely. devices. Completely. I I think it's. Um it's weird. It's like the the internet is a um, manifestation of like a global consciousness, and it's just there, and it's just everyone kind of it like it's literally all there if you if you can be bothered to try and kind of find it all. But um, yeah, it's just mine. It boggles my mind. It's so much at the moment. Everything is so fucking fucked that uh, I don't even know where to begin kind of thing <laughs> yeah well let, let's start with meditation i guess because you you said um one of your coping mechanisms before we started recording was meditation um what kind of meditation are you doing are you, are you following so like I, a guided app thing or are you just sort of doing it no on so i've kind of done meditation i started like in my like late teens early 20s and stuff so i kind of started doing like vipassana which is um you know breath meditation so it's like just breathing in and out and focusing on your breath and being still and being calm and then has i've done a bit of reading into like zen and things like that and um just find it yeah just really it's really quite helpful tool just to you know rule just bags of meat muddling through and we're really trying our best to just not fuck everything up and there comes a point where you just have to kind of stop start again concentrate on your breath and i find i just do that and just sit there and meditate and just let your thoughts kind of roll past you as sort of clouds in the sky kind of thing it's all very bit hippie and whatever but um i find it helpful especially at the moment like the world is collectively losing its shit right now so who the fuck knows what's going on um and honestly we just need to <laughs> it boils down to you have a love or fear response to any kind of situation if that makes sense Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I'm, totally. and I'm I'm desperately trying to sort of choose love, like I'm being I've been going through some shit, you know. Um, 
like everyone's going through some shit. It's yeah, it's it's a, it's a very weird time right now, isn't it, in mm. the world? So yeah, yeah. I feel like only one every few generations get to experience a time like this, right? Like a couple of generations back, there was you know a Great Depression, and then a couple of generations before that, there was the Spanish flu, and then a, you know a couple of generations Man, before that, there was you know. History repeats itself and there's, um, you know, the concept of the illusion of history, which is like, oh, everything that's happened is already happened. It's like, no, we're, we're living through history right now, but it's ongoing. And then there's a exponential curve of like how, um, how do I, how can I articulate this properly? Um, as a guy I like, have you ever seen a or watched or read a guy called Tim Urban on no. Wait But Why? No. Um, I highly recommend checking out his stuff. So he talks about a lot of this stuff where it's like sort of pretty far out thinking ideas on like um, AI and things like that so it's, it's called wait but why and his name is tim urban and he would do stuff um that is you know talking about uh for example the the first person to invent a human level ai is like we've only got one shot at getting human intelligence ai because the moment that happens like there, there, there's only one shot at it. Mm. Yeah, I'm completely fudging this. <laughs> but there's, a, there's already, I think, some uh, like machine learning AI stuff that is better than humans at some things, right? Like, for instance, uh, chess. No, totally. I, oh god, I need to, you know, if I can Google it and stuff again. I, I, I think like I know I, what you mean, though. It's like the the AI that can do everything better than humans, including so, like, um, making its own. An example he brings up is. Say you make an AI that is designed to get better at doing handwriting, for example. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so you feed it examples of handwriting and all it wants to do is just get better at doing like handwritten cards. Um, and it ends up basically disassembling the entire universe uh, and, and all matter just to get better at doing handwritten cards. Sort of <laughs> what, what you're trying to say is like you give it a task and yeah. if anything is in its way of doing that task, it just destroys it to, to do yeah. the task so better. So what is the base? Um... So Elon Musk has a, uh, had a good saying about this. He was saying uh, from the perspective of humans, we like to build shit, right? So if we yeah. want to build like a, a house or a you know, structure of apartments or a new corporate building or something like that, and there's an anthill in the way. It's like, we'll just knock that anthill over without even thinking about it. We'll just fucking dig mm. that shit up and just lay a slab like we don't care. It's, we don't think about it being in our way so much. We just go like, oh, it's another anthill, fuck it. And we just like knock it over and build, right? Um, yeah. And it, it, you can kind of think about AI in that way. Like we could just be an anthill for it trying to you know, uh, it, obtain its own yeah. objectives. It's fucking crazy, man. Like there's so much. It's It's literally all there. Yeah, it's all out there. But there is some things that AI is, is better at. Like I was saying the chess example, for instance, um, when and this was another thing that was actually in this Tristan Harris podcast with Sam Harris. He articulated this well, and I already knew this, but um, when chess beat Gary Kasparov, 
uh, mm-hmm. sorry, when when deep deep mind or deep blue, whatever it was, was the, it deep the, blue, deep thought, or whatever it was, uh, yeah. the IBM computer that beat Gary, Gary Kasparov at chess, uh, it beat our best guy in chess, which means it just beat humanity at chess, right? Yeah. So it's like computers are better than humanity at chess. That's like one aspect in which computer AI is better than any human at this stage. And there's other things like that too, like for instance. Um, like social media algorithms, right? Like this, that's a thing that we'll never be as good at as AI because it's just so much data to go through and computers Man, are just good. I honestly think like we're guinea pigs at the moment. And I think give it like 10, 15 years, I think social media is going to be classed as being an evil thing. How, you know, how gambling is addictive mm. and it's out there. Um, for everyone to see uh, that it's like they like they they're telling you and they're using these things that make you want to get like sucked in and uh, ugh, I'm marshal my fucking thoughts but <laughs> uh, I, I know what you mean like um when cigarettes first came about uh, not when they first came about but like at some point people thought cigarettes were like actually good for you they thought they cured asthma and stuff like that yeah i think the same is happening sort of with social media where they're like well you know allows people i think it's poison it's like on the one hand like there's some really good stuff right it like allows people to find long lost relatives it allows exactly you You can do all sorts of you can find people it connects people and it's like we're all just kind of you know, exploring the same, it's the human consciousness, the universe exploring itself kind of thing and, and, and talking to itself. But at the same time, like it's gone a bit rogue and there's a lot of um, things involved with it that are, yeah, they, the same kind of things they use when, for like gambling and little dopamine hits, so you know, you know, like getting likes and getting little hits and all that kind of stuff. It's um, it's quite insidious, and so there, there's really positive sides to it. But yeah, it, it's uh, it's it's too much. My brain is literally just like <clears throat> at the moment. I can't Do you think a little. Um, so there's a, again, going back to this social dilemma documentary, which you should really watch. It's super interesting. Uh, th- it covers this topic really well. Um, do I'll ask you the question and then I'll tell you what, what happened. But, um, do you think when they developed the like button on Facebook that they ever thought that it would, uh, cause like depression in teens and stuff like that because they weren't getting enough likes? Like, do you think that that was a thing that, that was in the forefront of their minds or even like at all in their thoughts when creating that part of Facebook or Instagram or it's it's awful like I, I'm so glad I, I was born before um, social media was like a thing so yeah. I grew up and there's not a record of me just being like a total fucking idiot do you know what I mean like there's an entire generation of people who are essentially becoming completely narcissistic and stuff because they're so worried about how they look because it's there and the thing is we sort of breached the point where there's the internet and it's there forever it's really quite bizarre mm. um like and that whole 
yeah, like the little dopamine hits for likes and re- retweets and shares and everything else. It's uh, it's it, yeah, it's scary stuff, man. So the guy who invented the like button, he reckons that uh, the idea of people not getting enough likes and getting depressed over it was like not even on his radar. He he just he says in the documentary that he was just trying that when they developed it, they were just trying to create a thing that would spread love and positivity. Like you know, you send a like hmm. to someone, it's like you're loving. But I find it hard to believe that that wasn't a thing that they thought about. You know, I I don't know. It's um. Yeah, it's hard. <laughs> it, it, it's so complicated. Ah! <laughs> Honestly, like, uh, anyway, yeah. Um, going back to meditating, though, uh, I started meditating a little bit with an app uh, called, what was it called? Waking Up, I think, by Sam Harris. And I haven't I been... Use, um, I used Headspace. Headspace, yeah, I've used, that, I've used that one as good. well. Yeah, I really like guided meditation. I feel like if I sit there doing it by myself, I don't necessarily do it properly. Whereas if I have somebody kind of continuously reminding me to... There's no right way to do it, though. It's more just sort of, yeah, you're shining that um, light of awareness on yourself, you know, and it's like, oh, who's observing the observer? And what's that thing in your head and... While we're with sort of like sacks of meat and the sum total of all this weird kind of chemical and physiological mush, and suddenly consciousness kind of appears out of it. It's like, oh, what the fuck is it? Oh, shit. Oh, what am I? Oh, what's going on? Oh, you know, we're all connected. It's all like, oh, yeah, been reading too much stuff about this kind of thing. Yeah, what have you been reading? Um, Currently, well, I say reading, like listening to audiobooks. I have a really good audiobook by a guy called um, Adam Rutherford called How to Argue with a Racist. And he is How a, to Argue with a what? How to Argue with with a Racist. Oh, wow. And okay. He <laughs> is a, um, he's a geneticist and he's on the uh, BBC. And he basically is just talking about, like, it, yeah, it completely disassembles every kind of argument about racism and how like you know we all come from uh there's like mitochondrial eve and we all mm. come from ethiopia and how the human diaspora spread from africa and how we've all spread out and there's different types of people and it kind of relates to there's those books uh sapiens and Hamideus by oh yeah yuval noah harari yeah, yeah, yeah yuval they, noah harari. all that sort of stuff um so just sort of reading that stuff and you know it's all kind of tying in together at the moment for me nice so, but yeah i've been reading this book lately called this is your brain on music by john uh, daniel leviton um i'll tell you a really interesting fact uh there's this psychoacoustic effect called restoration of the fundamental frequency and if you Hmm. take the fundamental frequency out of a thing but it has all the other harmonics present that would make it allude to the fact that that fundamental frequency should be there then your brain kind of makes up the difference and a good example of this is with like a vocal right like a female vocal in pop music doesn't need to have all of those very low body fundamentals that a female vocal generally has because Mm. in the context of that pop song your brain makes up that fundamental difference anyway um and this was proven with owls 
what they did was they played an owl uh, classical song with all the fundamentals removed from from like the melody and they had electrodes attached to the owl's head and then the pulses that the owl's uh, neurons and stuff sent back to the computer uh, were converted back into MIDI and it remade the exact melody that was missing from that classical song. <laughs> Which is crazy. So That's... it's not even a thing that just happens with humans. It's a thing that happens with owls as well. Yeah. No, that's the thing. Like, um, yeah, animals have. Uh, isn't there a part of a whale? Like a whale's brain has a. They have an emotional part of their brain that we don't have. Did you ever watch that film Blackfish? Mm, no, I haven't. Which uh, I highly recommend watching it. But it was like, oh, uh, that's why Sea World and all that stuff is so evil but like whales basically have like an extra part of their brain it's like a extra emotional center that we don't have so they feel such a connection to their offspring that we don't have and so when keeping killer whales in captivity in sea world and then they would separate the mother from its offspring and it would just literally like dying yearning like crying with grief on a level that we can't comprehend because we don't have that part in our brain hmm. so we can't you experience know. sadness yeah to we, the level we, we can't experience that sort of level of emotion huh. i feel you like know. also different people probably experience different level of emotion right like for instance when i see someone who's hysteric i just cannot like fathom anything in the world that could make me that hysteric because I've just never been susceptible to hysteria, really. Um, well, or like that's it. If you watch, it's um, was it? Yeah, is my red the same as your red? If you yeah, watch exactly. much of the uh, Vsauce stuff, hi, yeah, Vsauce, <laughs> all that shit. Uh, yeah. yeah, like really interesting. You know, it's like oh, perception. It's all different. Like yeah, you create your own reality, and it's totally on you and it's your own perception and you can have two you can you know two people can see the same event and have two totally different takeaways from it mm. and yeah it's uh yeah i don't know what my fucking point is just waffling on <laughs> i want to google something quickly about hysteria now that i've mentioned it um because this fact is hilarious and I want to make sure that I get it right. Okay, here we go. Um, doctors created vibrators after growing tired of masturbating hysterical women. That's what? an actual fact. <laughs> yeah, so 100 years ago, the vibrator was invented to relieve doctors whose fingers were frequently cramped from treating hysteria in female patients. Afterwards, it became a popular household appliance to help women Good get off on their grief. own. So the vibrator was invented by doctors because when a woman came in who was hysterical, they thought the solution was to finger her. Uh, uh, so is the world... I would say the world is less fucked up today than it was then. <laughs> no, it's all relative. You know, we're like, on the one hand, we are living through the um, most prosperous, brilliant, forward thinking, uh, 
amazing time in human history, you know. But again, it's all relative and it's sort of that exponential curve. It's like if you were to take um, someone, for example, I think about when I was a kid and I used to dream about like, I wish I had like a little watch and I could put little tiny little micro cassettes into it and watch episodes of Transformers on my little tiny watch. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas now it's like, oh shit, you've got an iPhone. You can literally watch anything anywhere and do anything on the go anywhere, wherever. Yeah, it's insane. We're in the future. It's fucking crazy. So like taking a moment to step back and actually recognise that we're, we're five years past the future of Back to the Future 2. Mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> you know he's like fuck me we live in the future this is crazy but so just taking a step back and just trying to be like holy shit wow this is crazy and that kind of curve for um technology and any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic for someone who doesn't know about it, if you know what I mean. So yeah. you could show someone a phone from today in the 90s and they'd be like, oh, yeah, that's a phone. But then like showing them an iPhone, they'd be like, what the fuck is this? Mm. You know? and then You'd be like, check goes, it out. I can press yeah. a button and a car shows up and takes yeah. me somewhere. And it sort of goes back. But that kind of curve is getting sharper. So in 10 years' time, there's going to be some technology that we'd just be like, what is that voodoo magic? <laughs> what the fuck is that? What do you think the um, the time is between... Well, how, how long do you think it'll take before we, we'll we just fully be producing music on phones? Because um, <clears throat> if you think about it, like... It's like not, not, not going to be long, isn't it? Like Because it's, it's now got to the point where it's like... Um, you, you can already produce a good-sounding song on a phone, but it's a little yeah. tough and takes. A, it's a little bit of a pain in the yeah, ass. You can to make do. a tune on. You can make a tune on an iPad. You can make a tune on a phone. It's no problem. Like it's literally the processing power is there. It's not um, now for audio. The like there's more than enough processing power. The the thing that's uh, the beast is if you're doing like high end sort of three D graphics or game mm. development and things like that. But like audio stuff, you're like oh. It's pretty much, I've, I've got the same iMac I've had for like seven years. Still can't rag it out kind of thing. Mm. It still absolutely like smashes it. It's funny yeah. as well how um, process, like processing power for audio now is out of the, like it's like you said, way further than it needs to be for anything we pretty much need to do. But um, it's funny how tricks that were designed to get around processing power still stick around today, right? Like resampling, for instance, I, mm. I, I remember back in the day on the dogs on acid forum, where um, <laughs> people would be like, "Oh man, how do you, how do people get like that much depth into their bases and stuff like that?" And they're like, "Well, you make a really simple base and then you render it into audio to transcend your computer's processing power, and then you process <laughs> it a little bit, and then you resample it again, and process it again, mm. resample it again, and keep doing that until you have a really crazy." bass sound that you just throw in a sampler and then play it on a sampler and it doesn't take that much processing power anymore um but that's still a technique that we use today even though we have the processing power to throw on 500 plugins onto a single channel if we want yeah i don't know i still sort of tend to see that my whole thing is um like my my arrangement pages are just 
pure chaos. Um, but it's, it's literally like, you know, I, 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 yeah, I, trying to collab with people is an absolute nightmare because the way I work is sort of, I'll have my sound design process. It's like a set of stairs. So I've, you know, I've taught myself Ableton mainly just to be able to um, collaborate with people. But obviously I'm still like a logic guy from day. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'll sort of do it where it's like, it's like a set of stairs. And so we'll have this kind of be like, right, make a sound, bounce in place, do something else, bounce in place, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. And then you sort of get that end result. And it's sort of that processing chain is done that way. If that makes any sense. Yeah. yeah, Um, It's iterative. Yeah. That kind of thing. Uh, Yeah. I don't know what my fucking point was. (laughs) I don't feel like there's any point to anything in these podcasts. Usually it's it's usually just a bunch of words. I'm literally just chatting shit. You can, uh, yeah, I think these podcasts are very similar to my music, where it's my music is just a bunch of organized sound, and these podcasts are just a bunch no, of ordered words. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's all it's all just one glorious whole. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. What else have you been doing in the quarantine? Um, are, are, you, are you still oh, quarantined? Wait, you're in uh, Bristol or London? No, so I'm in London at the moment. So, oh okay. god, so it's literally been like the most sort of craziest six months of my life so um so i have a small like apartment flat whatever it's mm-hmm. like a masonette in southeast london with my partner uh well it's now my ex so after 13 years we've decided to sort of high five and call it a day and it's completely amicable mm-hmm. um so i'm going to relocate to bristol nice. so i can be more involved with uh, like the slug wife crew and that mm. kind of thing and sort of get on with doing music properly. It's weird. It's funny. It's literally taking like a global pandemic, the ending of a 13 year relationship and all of these things, uh, the universe kind of like punch me in the nuts and be like, ah, this is what you need to do. Okay, cool. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I'm looking to move to Bristol because it's like amazing place and there's so many cool people there. And yeah, what is it f- about Bristol? I've never been there, but like I know culprits there, you know, curses There's there. There's so and- many people there, man. It's just, I, I, who knows? I don't know. You know, I don't know. Uh, it's just there's there really cool people there. It has a really cool kind of individual vibe. It has its, it just has its thing. Everyone just seems to be really kind of chill. London is like very expensive and it's a bit too spread out although it's my home and i love it and you know i want to stay here and by hook or by crook i'm like cool we need to sort of hang on to this apartment that we've got so whatever happens um let's just keep hold of it but um yeah at the moment i'm like right i need to find a place in bristol and to sort of get on and can finally sort of concentrate on doing music 100 percent because i've always just been a bit like oh i don't know what i'm doing oh god and it's slowly slowly catchy monkey starting to figure stuff out well it seems like from the outside you put out releases regularly and it seems like music is your main thing at least to me and you know you're doing shows regularly before the pandemic and i think if there's anything that i've kind of realized from this pandemic is that work from home stuff is it works fine 
you know, like for instance, uh, I live in San Francisco now and the, te- the this is the tech industry hub, right? It's like where Facebook, Google, everything is. Um, like Twitter is literally a, you know, down the road from my house. Uber is down the road from my house. It's like all the shit is here, right? And all of those companies through this pandemic have had to employ a work from home uh, policy. And what they've all realized is everything's fine. There's no, yeah. <laughs> there's no need for people to That's go into thing. an office, the, right? And I feel the, the same. The world is just, it's getting to that point. It was like, oh, actually, like people can work from home. <sighs> right. You know, so why is it, that not the case for you working from home in London? Um, so I can work from home. Like I can work anywhere. I mean, you already are working from home. I'm, you know, I'm working from home. Like, yeah. And that, we live in the future. So as long as I've got my laptop or my iMac or whatever and my so I've got my monitors I have a pair of um, Odyssey LCDXs do uh, those headphones slap like they're so good Um, I've got these HD 600 Cinnies which are my sort of like (laughs) yeah uh, they're like my sort of workhorse things and then just various different sort of monitoring options and I've got a sub pack and then you do the phone test and all of these different things and you reference it with like visualizers and everything else and then checking out on other people's stuff it's like you can you know it's a best guess and it's all just a best guess and just trying my best it's like I don't think my mixes suck but they could be better but I'm not a mix engineer I don't fucking know yeah um there is something, though, I think, about being in an area uh, for stuff that's creative, like music. I mean, I can really only speak for music because it's the only creative thing I do. But, like, um, there's a, a thing, I think, about being uh, an electronic musician. It does make a big difference to be in an area that feels very conducive to making electronic music in. And I feel like London is honestly great for that. When I was there, I felt, like, very inspired to make certain kinds of stuff and... Uh, in San Francisco, I feel very inspired. In uh, Denver, I, spelt, I felt very inspired. But there were certain times when I was living in Australia, like I lived out in the middle of fucking nowhere in this little town called Windsor. And um, mm. it was Windsor, n- <laughs> Windsor New South <laughs> Wales. And it, it was not that inspiring, you know. It was like a pretty uninspiring place because there was not a lot of electronic music history. It, there was no electronic music history there. Yeah. There was no electronic music scene there. Everyone around me thought that electronic music was a joke. Um, you know, so there's some, there's that, right? And then uh, on top of that, I think just, and this sounds like airy, fairy, hippie, but I think certain areas just have a like just a vibe in the air, right? Like you could be there completely detached from talking to anybody else or being around anybody else ever, and it still feels like creative. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, I said, yeah, who fucking knows? It's weird, like. Um like square pusher and Aphex coming from like Cornwall. It's like, oh, it's this weird little bit of Cornwall. It's like, why is <laughs> why are those guys just sort of coming from there? Or why why was, you know, Perth like with Pendulum and then all the breaks, that kind of thing. And like all these weird little diasporas of pockets and things and, you know, I, like, well, fucking knows. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's strange. One thing I noticed when I was in London is that the level of producer in the UK is just higher, I think, than in America. Like, I, I would meet just... I met a few random producers there who were just, like, nobodies, who were just you know, friends of funnies or whatever. Mm. And they were just 
fucking awesome producers they didn't even they were, they were like yeah this isn't even my main thing i'm a i, I work at a shop preparing fish for a butcher or something and they're like yeah, but like <laughs> but you know i just so happen to be like you know one in the top 10 neuro producers you've ever met as yeah. well and it's like okay yeah. well why is this know, your I, think, I think it's a direct correlation to like the more complicated someone's music is the more uh kind of intelligent they are you know <laughs> whereas like the the people that make the really kind of basic music are usually going to be fucking douchebags where it's like oh actually if you the more time and effort you put into it and it all comes down to just like basically how bothered can you be to do something hmm. like how much effort can you be asked to put into doing stuff you know and that's the constant thing with me it's like constantly trying to one-up myself or is like am i covering the same ground am i expanding on an idea that i've already done previously or am i trying to reiterate something better or am i trying to do something new you know like everything goes in cycles like what's new and it's always new for someone you know um yeah again don't know what my fucking point is but <laughs> I feel like uh, the standard of producer was higher in London because the show system there is a lot different than in America. Like in America, you can not even be a producer. You could just be a DJ or like you could just be, you know, whatever. You could have been producing for like six months or a year and you'll get put onto shows, right? Because there's just so many shows happening and there's just so many people who want to go to shows and there's just so many promoters yeah, who want to promote shows. It's such a massive because... market. America is huge. Like you forget no. how fucking huge it is. Well, that, that's what I'm saying. And then that's why you don't have to be as good to play a show here, right? Whereas in England, it seems like to play a show, you have to be insanely good. And it also seems like the person who headlines the show um, in the UK is just like the oldest person, like the person who's been around the longest, it seems. <laughs> there's like this whole respect system and actual... Yeah. Uh, appreciation for te- yeah, like technical prowess and ability there it seems like whereas here that a little bit gets thrown out the window because the industry is so massive and oversaturated and it's just all about fucking capitalism and stuff like that yeah i don't, I don't know man like i don't know if i if i did you know i'd be rich i'm not i'm poor but i just <laughs> muddle through <laughs> We're all just doing our best. I'm just quite happy to be this like this little quiet guy in the corner. It's like I'm fine, you know. I've got my little pod. This is what I always call it. It's like the pod. It's like as long as I've got my room and I can make some tunes and I get through and you know do stuff. That's enough. And practicing gratitude for what you have, rather than like you know, yeah. I don't want very much out of life at all. I'm like literally a little cabin in the woods. I want that little. Remember Donkey Kong Country. Do you ever play uh, that game? I never played that, no. You never played it? Oh, there's a bit, there's like old, I forget his name, it's like Grandpa Kong or whatever, and he's got like a little monkey hut and it's these these little kind of interlude bits. And I was like, oh man, I could just happily have just a cabin in the woods and as long as you've got the internet, that's fine. Like my dream in life is, do you know what? I really want COVID just to fuck off so <laughs> I can just move to Japan and actually be a weeboo otaku dickhead <laughs> working in izakaya make tunes actually properly learn japanese that's me done <laughs> you know really don't need very much at all you know there's no there's 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 literally no need for anyone to be a billionaire in the world you know imagine if you said the same thing you just said but about alcohol like imagine if you're like i just need to go live in the woods and as long as i've got alcohol everything will be fine 
Well, well, there some wise words I heard from a tramp once was like, beer is the feeling you should have about beer. I was like, oh, yeah, fair enough. You know. <laughs> no, but I mean, like, you just said the same thing about the internet, right? Like, you know, go out here, like, as long as you have the internet, who gives a shit? Um, but, uh, like, that was just circling right back to your point at the start to say that we might look one day at the uh, social media thing being, like, a, an addiction, right, or, like, a really bad thing. It's for definitely you, like, addictive because they've definitely, like, it's out there and they, they use the same psychological ticks to get you scrolling and you know um i'm sure i saw jack from turning sound but i swear it's like oh you can just like you find yourself endlessly just scrolling like thumbing through facebook and you stop and you sort of feel like drained like you've done a drug or something and like it's fucking true you know like how is people like are addicted to their own brains like being a gym bod like oh you're just addicted to your own brain it's like oh if you don't work out oh i don't feel good oh it's like you're just addicted to your own sort of dopamine and endorphins and all of this kind of stuff you know you do, again which is like a sack of meat and chemicals just sort of trying to do our best <laughs> yeah i think the difference though is that uh with being on a device that has supercomputers behind behind it on the other side of it uh pointed at your brain trying to trick you into clicking more shit versus doing something that our ancestors have evolved to do over a hundred thousand years like exercise mm. um yeah i think there's a little bit of a difference there i i'm not a gym bod but i definitely think exercise is good and important exercise is very important like you know again it's balance and that's the thing it's like i've done a lot of kind of readings on buddhism and stuff like that and it's so you know the concept of the middle way and balance and yin and yang and all of that kind of stuff it's like yeah you need like balance you need to exercise you know when you need to fucking move around a bit and like stop eating shit and mm. stop getting so fucked up but at the same time it's fun to get fucked up <laughs> you know but it's just like yeah trying to find that balance and hit that thing it's hard and like everyone's just doing the best they fucking can yeah, everything in moderation, even moderation, right? Exactly. Um, have you ever done the style of uh, meditation? I think this might be a Buddhist practice um, called, what, I don't know what it's called, but it's the one that you do for like a week where you don't talk for a week and you try and sit there still. For I've not week. done that, no. That sounds... That's Vipassana, like, is it? Or what is that Vipassana called? is more just like the concentration on breath, where Zen is more like, you know... So like cone sound, for example, there's like the cone riddle and it's the idea being that like it basically makes your brain just go ah, and then you attain enlightenment because you're, it just kind of unravels itself. And so there's different ways to kind of attain enlightenment. And that's, you know, there's there's all sorts of research coming out about they've put people on um, in MRI and CAT scan things who are on LSD and ketamine and whatever else. And it's like, oh, it actually like, connects different parts of your brain and lights up so visual auditory and memory cortexes and stuff and it's like oh fuck you can in you can have like actual enlightenment of taking drugs but it's a what was the analogy i heard it's like psychedelics are like a, a tent outside the house of enlightenment if that makes <laughs> any sense yeah, you know, yeah so it's sort of like oh they like you can kind of get little brief moments of it but it requires 
real fucking practice to actually attain it and it's a lifetime's bloody work you know so who's gonna who, who who's gonna do that buddhist monks do it but i feel like western society is definitely we've gone a bit too far down the um just ignoring that whole aspect of things yeah to sort of you know we need a balance again of science and religion and there needs to be that kind of happy mix there's a lot there's a lot of good eastern philosophy that i think is important and then science kind of backs it up as well Mm. you know thought is creative and i was listening to a thing on radio 4 the other day where it's like to forget something their energy is created when you forget something when you start getting onto a quantum level it's mind-boggling stuff you know Uh, again speaking of um speaking of neuroscience uh one thing that was in this book that i was reading your brain on this is your brain on music is that when, like you were talking about different parts of the brain lighting up in fMRI or, uh, sorry, CAT scans or whatever, um, when you're on drugs, uh, when you, they've done similar tests uh, where they've attached people's brains to whatever, EEGs or MRIs or whatever, to, to just see what parts light up. Yeah. And when people are like watching a movie or looking at a piece of art, like certain parts light up, when they read a book, like other parts light up. When you listen to music though, like every part of your brain lights up, which is crazy. Yeah, music is amazing, but it's, you know, you can listen to a, a piece of music and it just transports you back in time. And I, and you combine that with a smell or a taste or a touch or something and it's suddenly it's like, oh, fucking hell, wow. You can remember something. And that's where like people with Alzheimer's and dementia, it's like, oh, you put them in front of a piano if they were, were a trained musician doing piano and they might be kind of completely unresponsive but then it's all kind of still there and it's that all of that stuff is to do with like placking of the brain and how it works and you know but it's a but it's all there and it's why your brain remains plastic throughout your entire life so this is why i get fucked off with people who be like oh i'm stuck in my ways it's like no your brain is plastic you it, it remains fluid throughout your entire life you can learn something new all the time and that's why i think it's incumbent on everyone to like try and learn a second language or a third language or like at least learn a second language that's why it fucks me off in england that there's not an emphasis on learning another language because it just completely broadens your world view you know like english seems to be the kind of it's the business language and for myriad reasons but it's it's completely limiting whereas there's like there's certain concepts in like Japanese or Arabic or um, Hungarian or whatever that you can express different things like for example you know the the whole idea of like schadenfreude it's like oh the joy of someone else fucking it up and you <laughs> get taking joy of that it's like oh there's no English expression for that you know, so but we can understand another... it. It just takes a sentence to explain the feeling. But that's it. L- l- language is a very powerful tool, but it's also very limiting as well. And it's like people get a bit too caught up in language. But but do you think uh, that learning a language broadens your emotional horizon? Because I mean, like I've, I can see somebody fucking something up and be like, haha, hilarious. I mean, there's entire things in English that are based around that, right? Like fucking funniest home videos where it's just watching people get hurt constantly right or yeah like, we've all, yeah i've watched like, i've watched a shit ton of like right, fail so, it's, army. so it's not like 
English people or people people who just speak English don't experience this emotion. It's just that we don't have a single word for it. No, it, you know, we don't have. Yeah, there's not a particular adjective or verb for it or whatever. You right. Know. So it's but, not like um, it's it's broadened the Germans' emotional capacity just by having this word. I just think it's um you know it's a shame you know uh, what is it Esperanto you uh, you aware of that thing it's like a language that was invented it's like oh everyone would learn their mother tongue and then everyone would learn Esperanto Esperanto would be the language that everyone else was taught so we could all talk to each other in Esperanto and we'd all have our mother tongue as well but that's not how language works right right. Um, you know, kind of English is like Esperanto, right? But it, yeah, English has sort of become that thing, you know, which makes English people fucking lazy. It's like, oh, speak English. It's like, no, that's so fucking lazy. So in India, uh, there's just so many different languages there. Actually, I should Google this. I, um, well, what is it? It's like Urdu, Hindi. Um, oh, man, it's so many. There's a few. Uh, there's 20. Wait. 22 languages, yeah. So there's Assamese, Bengali, Gujarati, Hindi, Canada, Kashmiri, Konkaki, uh, so on and so forth, Punjabi, Sanskrit, um, Tamil, or Urdu. Yeah, there's tons. Um, And they change, like India is, it's pretty big. I mean, it's not as big as you'd think though, right? It's like the size of Texas plus a little bit, I think. Like it's pretty big though there's 1.3 billion people on the indian subcontinent population wise it's giant but like actual geographically i don't think it's as big as you would think like it's definitely not as big as america it's definitely not as big as australia but um there's so many fucking people there and you can travel like a couple of hundred kilometers in one direction or less like 50 kilometers or whatever and it's just Mm. a completely different language and and the languages are not even similar. Like Sanskrit, I believe, is like not at all similar to any of them. Hindi is not similar to any. Like you you go like Indian people who speak Hindi, right? Go a hundred kilometers one way, and they're in a town where people just speak a language that none of that they can't speak, and they can't even understand. It's not even like a different dialect. It's a completely different yeah. fucking language. It's like the difference between English and whatever, like Chinese, and um. <laughs> Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, so, no, yeah, it's so absolutely the, crazy, man. The is result of this, though, is that in India, the mother tongue is English. Yeah, but then that's, uh, you know, is that a result of like um, the Raj and Empire and Britain and I think all it's, of that? I've heard from Indian people, and I don't know if this is true, but I've heard that the reason they made it English is so nobody in India won. It was kind of like a petty thing being like, all right, well, I don't want Hindi to win, so fuck you. Like, we're all going to just agree that it's English, so nobody wins. (laughs) Who who fucking knows? It's So, yeah, again, it's very complicated. (laughs) Always. (laughs) Um, Well, this thing says... There's more than 19,500 mother tongues spoken in India. Is that true? There are 121 languages which are spoken by 10,000 or more people in India, which has a population of 121 crore. What is crore? Crore? That is 10 million. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, yeah, crore is 10 million million people. So 121 million so 121 language. i don't understand that but it says more than nineteen thousand five hundred languages are d- 
or dialects are spoken in India's mother tongues, according to the latest analysis of the census released this week. And that was in 2018. To 19,500 languages for... ridiculous. Yeah, for one and a half billion people or whatever. It's crazy. Uh, 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 Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I mean, at some point, at that point, you kind of have to be like, all right, everyone speak English. Shut the fuck up. Everyone just... No speaking... No speaking crawl. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, God. It's hard enough enough just fucking speaking English. Do you know what I mean? Like trying to get your point across and articulate and be succinct. yeah, man, I need to build. I've been, that's one thing I've always tried to keep doing is building my vocabulary, and I've done a horrible job at it. Like, I mean, I, just a few times in this conversation, you've used a lot of words that I know, but I would never use. And oh, I feel like it's, it, it's, it's, you know, I like, I, I find language fascinating and, and etymology and the history of words. There's a really good book um, called Mother Tongue by Bill Bryson. I don't know if I mentioned it before, but it's like talking about like English is just like a complete bastard in terms of a language. Like there's a Germanic influence. There's the, 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 the French sort of influence. Yeah, there's Nordic Latin. influence. Like there's so many, the Latin part of it. Like it's a complete hodgepodge of everything. And it's like, it makes no fucking sense, but yeah. you can fuck it and still get your meaning across, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, fucking everywhere. A lot of people fuck it. Like, uh, you go to, you know, certain parts of England and, like, I mean, there's a word that you said earlier. Like, you, you were like, oh, I'm prang. I don't think that's... Pranging, a... yeah, sorry. <laughs> but that's means... it. But again, it's like language is fluid and it's like it constantly changes and it's cultural and it's become, you know, so there's the whole thing at the moment of, like... Uh, I don't even know what you'd fucking call it, but like Ute speak. So like, yes, fam, get me blood. You know, that kind of thing, which is a kind of merging of like Cockney and Patois. You're like, oh, that's an entirely new sort of almost dialect coming out of there. And like Jamaican Patois is like English, but it's a different dialect. It's like, fuck me. You have to really concentrate uh, and listen to figure out what's going on the same could be said of like deep set Glaswegian you're like it's such a thick accent you're like what same with like Geordie people like the thing about the UK is like every 20 miles there's a different accent and there can be different meanings I remember being on the um, train with my girlfriend and we were going to uh, Penrith in the uh, Lake District and the conductor came along and he was like oh tickets please and I was like, yeah, here you go. And he's like, oh, lovely, that's Belton. And my girlfriend was like, no, 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 we're going to Penrith. And I was like, no, he means that's okay. Because to say, oh, that's Belting means like, oh, that's good. And it's that's like, Belting. Oh, oh, that, oh, that's Belting, lad. You know, it's, like, <laughs> it's, it's fucking crazy. I like uh, English people's slang for music. They're like, oh, that's a fucking stinker. <laughs> that fucking, oh, yeah, that's a banger. That stinks. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> I don't dude, know. It's, it's fascinating stuff. There's so many good words and genres and stuff that have come out of England, like UK garage, uh, baseline. But uh, then garage grime. comes from America, doesn't it? Because it comes from the garage. The same as house music comes from America. Well, house and techno uh, for sure. But UK garage, really, does that come from America? Well, garage is an American music, but then there's UK garage. So then it's that. Again, it's that cross-pollination between two places and, 
you know, how the UK, it's it's interesting to me, like uh, America at the moment where it's, um, you know, obviously the sort of post EDM explosion or whatever. And it's just funny seeing the relationship American people have to it. It's so different because there's not a culture of raving. They don't have that. um, Yeah, there's just not a history of raving, which, which, you know, like, so many American people get fucked off if you do a pull up. So if you do a reload, and it's like what? And then that's a and that's a Jamaican thing that comes from like dance hall. And, what is a pull up? You know when you do a reload, so you're like rewind and then play it again. Like, play it again. Like that's a dub thing, and that comes from Jamaica, which then through like Windrush generation and stuff coming to the UK, and then the foundations of like dub music, and then that turning into like jungle and hardcore and all of this kind of stuff. There's a kind of cultural language that's got lost in America that they don't have. You see what huh. I mean? So it's so yeah, yeah. it's so it's so bizarre. And it's I, it's really fascinating sociologically for me to see. Why would like, you do a pull up? Like what is Because it? when because when the tune is so fucking fire, you're just like, <laughs> fuck off. Play it again. <laughs> Do it again. Play again. Play again. No, fuck off. Wheel it. Play it again. And that whole concept of like just wheeling a tune, you know, and it's such a, and it's a, it's a very like Jamaican, but then UK thing. Hmm. And like people in America are just baffled by it. They're like, what? Why? What are you doing? And it's like, no, no. It means like you're so gassed, you're so hype. The tune is so fucking banging. You have to stop it and start it again because, <laughs> oh my god, I'm gonna lose my shit. Yeah, that makes sense. But then again, like what somebody thinks is really sick, right? Like the DJ or whatever. I might not necessarily think is so sick, but then there might be another thing that they play that's so sick. And also, like, so I'll be like, well, why did you reload that one and not the other one? Why not reload every well, place? That's it again. <laughs> it's also, all subjective, um, isn't it? Totally. So, but then also another part of that from a like DJ perspective, like from my perspective, if I'm playing something and I think something is very sick, um, I'll place it in the set at such a time that's like the peak of the set, right? And then I won't play it again because I kind of want this thing to climax and then go back down again or whatever. And then, I don't know, it's like playing something once to somebody gives it like re-listen value i guess like they want to come back again to hear the thing yeah. again or whatever but i guess hmm. yeah it, it makes sense i guess but i've never i said they're just fun it's just fun yeah. when someone does a pull up it's just like <laughs> whoa gun fingers fuck shit <laughs> you know but it's a different again it's just interesting it's just a you know you have to adjust mm the way you play for like uk and european audiences and in america it's just interesting what about dubstep? Like, that's a UK thing, right? Yeah, well, dubstep is, like, a totally UK thing. Like, that's where it came from. So, I, you know, fuck me. I've been around, like, well, I started in, like, 2006. So, yeah, been rezo. I, I literally can see, I think I joined, like, the dubstep forum in, like, August 2006. <laughs> and used to go to four. So, all those nights and people that have been, that have been, kind of uh what's the word like immortalized it's like oh history like going to forward and dmz and stuff it's like oh i was there i went to all of these nights and was there (laughs) and was part of it and was like it was just fucking wicked it was a massive sausage fest but it was basically just people like making anything they wanted in a dark room filled with skunk smoke and just shacking out to these tunes and it was fucking awesome you know and then 
I don't know. Yeah, it just sort of got a bit misconstrued, but it actually it's come back round again now where it's in a really healthy place. And so I'm like, oh, great. So I'm really kind of back on that sort of 140 thing. But I think my problem has always been that it's, I like too much stuff. And so I'm a marketing man's nightmare. Where it's yeah, like, oh, I feel like you like making of... everything, you like doing everything. I think you're the same, right? You know, it's like, <laughs> how do you do it? People yeah. like to put things in boxes, like to put things in neat little packages. And it's, how do you. Oh, here, yeah. check this out. I can show you something real quick. I'll screen share to you and then we can sort of talk about what I'm screen sharing to you. So okay. people, and this is something I've never done on this podcast, but I think, yeah. All right. So you, can you see that? Good grief. What is that? Project uh, so file stock take. So this is it. Yeah. Project file stock take. Exactly. So basically I'm uh, naming everything, putting a beep, the BPM of everything, the key of everything, whether or not the project file has missing plugins, missing samples, whether or not there's a wave render of it in my whips folder, what oh, genre, man, genre it is. Oh man, you're far too organized it. for me. Okay. So basically what, like for people listening, there's, it's a spreadsheet with multiple uh, columns. One column is the title of the project file. Another one is some <laughs> notes on the project file. Like for instance, this one says tipper style, scratching, funky beat, tip hop vibes. Hey. This one says horrible production, horrible but, production decent, but idea. decent ideas. This one says, as it sounds, it's a G Jones influenced <laughs> beat. This one yeah. says Trent Reznor notes type film score shit with a pulsing sense. And then uh, has the BPM in another column, the genre in another column. So, you know, like cinematic sense, glitch hop, techno, tipper style, pure jazz, yeah. salsa trap, like whatever and then has all the keys in another column all yeah and then some other shit but um i also want to add another column which is like how finished it is and i want to ha like categorize it into whip loop oh sorry loop which is like just a little four bar loop thing whip yeah. which is kind of like you know it's somewhere getting to this point of a tune uh then tune which basically means like it's this is basically a finished tune it just needs a mix down or whatever and then it's, you know finished basically i guess um <clears throat> And essentially the point of this is for, to solve that problem you were just talking about. I'll stop my share now, uh, which is that um, it's to solve the problem you were just talking about, which is like you want to make everything like you just saw in there. I have cinematic shit. I have jazz. I have salsa trap. I have fucking glitch. I have drum and bass, like everything, right? And the point of it is I want to take stock of like all my project files for the last five or six years and then sort of um, categorize everything into projects. So I want to be able to be like, all right, this would be really good to put together um, into, you know, uh, one project I have an idea for is there's a website called BeatStars where you can just upload hip hop beats there and okay. may, or, may or may not uh, rent the beat basically. And I just have a <laughs> bunch of beat. weird, it's so <laughs> fucking, okay, so do, do you know the song Old Town Road by Little Nas X? Uh, vaguely, I think. It's probably, the biggest, I don't know. It's the biggest song that has happened in like the last 30 years. Probably. I think I probably do know it, but I live in a little cave and tend to just try and ignore everything. <clears throat> All right, here we go. Um, here's some statistics on Little Nas X's Old Town Road, and then I'll explain to you how this came about. Wait, I have to subscribe to this website to read this information. Fuck that. Uh, um, okay, it's the... Table. It's the longest running number one song in a, an amount of time that I can't actually see. Um, in its latest week, Old Town Road had 72.5 million streams in the United States and was played seven and a half thousand times on the radio. Um, did Old Town... So uh, it's become the longest running number one in US chart history, actually. 
which overtook Louis Fonzie's Despacito and Mariah Carey's One Sweet Day, which both spent 16 weeks at number one. This spent 19 weeks, I think. Um, but anyway, so the way that this song came about was a guy um, took a Trent Reznor song from some mm-hmm. weird B-side thing that Trent Reznor uploaded to the internet one day and turned it into a rap beat and then uploaded it to this website called BeatStars. And then this right. guy called Little Nas X, who's just some random rapper who had a microphone like you or I in his bedroom, downloaded that beat from, or he rented the beat actually from BeatStars or bought the beat for like 30, 30 bucks or something. Yeah. Um, and then rapped over it, released it, and it became the biggest song that's ever happened. Well, there you go. Yeah. So anyway, I have a bunch of projects that are just hip-hop beats that I want to <laughs> upload to this website. <laughs> I doubt any of them will ever become the biggest song ever, but I, I still I think it's an Wait, interesting so, well, that's Well, yeah. To me, that's this sort of like you're throwing shit at a wall and hoping yeah. something sticks. Yeah, exactly. Just fucking around, fucking seeing, seeing what happens. But anyway, yeah. so that's one project, and then another project is like, you know, I want to do an IDM album. Another one is I want to do like a, another dubstep release, and so on and so forth. So it's it's fucking. Well, there's literally not enough hours in the day to do everything that you need to do. Yeah, exactly. You know, I find that where it's like, oh, I want to be in a shoegaze band, and I want to be in a punk metal <laughs> band, and I want to be in a funk band, but then I also want to make like drum and bass and dubstep and halftime and everything mm-hmm. else, and do all of this stuff, and it's sort of like slowly kind of getting there and doing it all but it's like oh man yeah so, so I, I feel like yeah. if i spend a week though just taking stock of everything i have which it'll, it'll be like a week of 12 hour day work right to get mm. that stock take sheet populated then it'll be probably another week of me just looking at it and trying to figure out what goes where but then i'll have projects with very defined parameters and very defined workloads right and then i think at that point i'll be able to very clearly work towards some actual stuff because right now it feels like I'm yeah. just writing a lot of music with no real goal. But sometimes that's the point, isn't it? And that's quite nice. And that's sort of part of the practice where it's like, oh, do you know what? You're just doing something because it's fun to create. Mm. And it's like Which, just yeah. the joy of creating stuff. Like, you know, I, I've made a lot of music where it's sort of almost just like musical therapy for myself. Whereas mm. like I'll take... Uh, I watch a lot of weird videos of people who do like walking tours which is quite strange so someone's literally just got like a little 4k gopro and um stuck it on their chest and they'll just be like walking around like shibuya or new york or something like that and i'll just make pieces of music that kind of fit to that or the a piece of music where there's like there's some turtles floating through a coral reef and it's like oh these kind of infinity loops of music that <laughs> it's like oh great and it's just a kind of therapy and you can just leave it on and it's kind of very satisfying to make and it's like you know i don't know if they have any value or anything but it's it's just nice to make stuff and just create stuff you know and i firmly believe that i definitely like i like stuff that people made because they gave a shit rather than they were making something to make money the acquisition of the acquisition of stuff is fucking poison totally but i think society is built that way at the moment and i'm like nah it's just gone wrong right but there's a balance right to to being creative and i think um i do the same thing this like therapeutic sessions where i just make a bunch of idm because i find that honestly easy to make and i just enjoy making weird little pads and melodies and throwing beat repeats on all my drums like it's i find that nice and easy and just like chill and it's fun to make but um 
there's I've there's so, so much of that I can do, but then I find there has to be some balance where like there's I, if I spend months doing that, then I at least need to spend two weeks figuring out where it all goes. You know, I feel like that's, yeah, it's hard again. It's really fucking difficult, isn't it, man? It's like life's a bit life's a shit house, and it's really fucking hard. And we're all just trying to do our best, and so that's why it's kind of like you have to practice loving kindness for yourself and patience, and just being like, well, you know, nothing. As long as you kind of bounce everything out or like keep a <clears throat> a record of what you've done, you never know when it might come in useful down the line. So whether it would be in like a sound design aspect or doing a piece of music or whatever, like you never know when something you've done might come in to be really handy. And totally. And the other thing too is that um, I don't want to like waste hours of work, right? And for instance, if I, I've put in over the last few years, like fucking thousands of hours of work in, in Ableton. And if at this point I only end up releasing 100 hours of that work, well, then what happens to the other 1,900 hours of work that I did, right? Like it should be used for something, whether or not it be like uh, uh, pulled apart and turned into sample packs, whether or not it be uploaded for someone to learn from, whether or not it be sent out to other people to do collabs But it's not, you're not, um, this is that whole thing, isn't it, where it's like you're not, I fucking hate the term content. Oh, you need more content. Who's that guy? <laughs> Who's the, that fucking Spotify bellend? Who, <laughs> who, who is like, oh, it's no longer appropriate for a musician to release an album every three to five years. Like, get fucked, mate. Like, right. it takes as long as it takes. Mm. You know, it's art. Like, you're expressing yourself. You're trying to do something. It takes as long as it takes. Everyone goes at their own pace. You know, the... And that whole streaming model is completely fucked by sort of by that reasoning. It's um, let me let me try and not absolutely butcher an analogy. But for example, like uh, the film Requiem for a Dream, like Mm -hmm. that's a harrowing fucking film, but it's a Mm. fucking great film. I don't want to watch it every day, you know, whereas something like uh, I don't know, I could watch like Spirited Away every day because I find it comforting. It's like, do I think one's better than the other? No, they're different. But do the whole Spotify model and the whole repeated play model and how many plays it has uh, equating to a monetary reward for how much it's played is fucked, if you see what I mean. Yeah, totally. Like you can't, like, well, you're you saying that the value of something is not necessarily based on how many times it gets played. Exactly. You know, yeah. how much it's consumed doesn't, make something inherently more valuable right which for an algorithm is tough because the only metric they have is a number that exists by by that by that logic like oh my favorite piece of music is like a a thunderstorm soundtrack thing that i listen to when i go to sleep because i've got rampant tinnitus and i need some kind of this white noise to fucking get rid of this three and a half k tone in my ear (laughs) you know it's like oh my favorite piece of music is a thunderstorm so it's not (laughs) it's ridiculous right yeah, you know, so that whole model's broken. So it's like again, everything's going through changes, and it's all trying to figure it out. And we've sort of gone through a period where it's like, you know, the zenith of analog technology in the sort of late nineties, early two thousands, and then the sort of music industry being that way. And then now we're into like the streaming age, and everyone's just sort of trying their best to figure it out. And again, it's that illusion of history of like, oh, everything that's happened has happened. No, it hasn't. We're still doing it. It's only with the benefit of hindsight, like 30, 20, 30 years in the future, you can look back and be like, oh, it was because of that, Mm -hmm. you know. 
So there was a band called Wolfpack who uploaded an album to Spotify called Sleep. And it was just every song was 31 seconds long because songs have to be longer than 30 seconds to count for a like play for money. And they were all just silence. And they just told their... Um, yeah, just their, leave it on, right? They, and that was like a good their, hack. Yeah. yeah, they told their fan base, just put it on when you go to sleep and put it on loop. And yeah. as long as you're all clocking up plays for us, we'll get paid money and we can tour and shit yeah, like that. Yeah, absolutely. And they, and their fans like, oh, did that. it and they made a bunch of money. And then Spotify made it illegal to do that. But another funny thing with silent songs on Spotify is uh, because Spotify normalizes everything to negative 13 luffs or whatever, if you listen to something like John Cage's 433 on there, it just sounds like a fucking pile of noise because it tries to bring it all up to negative <laughs> 13. It's trying to make silence into fucking, yeah, minus 13 luffs. Right. Oh, my God. See, and that's yeah, that's a whole different thing as well. It's like, oh, the loudness war, luffs, oh, what are we all going for, you know? Well, we're all solving it now with stuff like Spotify and YouTube normalizing everything. It kind of promotes... Um, yeah, because of, what was it? Like um, TV standards minus 23 and then Spotify is like minus 13, 14 or whatever it is. But then everyone, I get sent shit and I look at it and like some people are hitting like minus four, minus five. I'm like, how the Dude, fuck people do you in, do that? People in dubstep, I have a friend named Ola Sile and I had this conversation with him. I was like, what luffs do you go for? And he was like, negative two minimum. I was like, what? Negative two? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, if it hits, like generally I aim for like minus seven, minus six, which is like, you Pretty know, loud. that's squashed as fuck. Yeah. But I'm like, okay, it's doing it. It can still kind of be dynamic. And again, it's contextual. It depends on what you're going for. There's no, you know, there's no set standards. So we're all just kind of like, oh, shit, oh, what is it? Oh, you know, and like sometimes that squashed thing is an aesthetic choice in and of right, like itself. The moody good stuff is um zero, like negative one zero, right? Like it's the loudest yeah. shit ever, but for, it suits the song. Like it suits Exactly. The- Isn't it? It's an aesthetic choice. Yeah. You know, that completely squashed sound is like, oh, cool, it's a choice. It's all subjective and it mm. kind of works and sometimes it needs to be like that, whereas other times it's like, oh, no, you want a really, like, dynamic piece of music where there's, like, the loud parts are loud, the quiet parts are quiet. It's not all squashed mm. and limited and compressed to fuck, you know? Yeah. yeah. I find for um, IDM I try to aim for about negative 12, negative 10, like somewhere around there. People forget that it's like you do have a volume button. Yeah. You know, or but a the game thing button. is... is people don't touch it like there's i mean people do like you do i do but um i mean fuck i'm constantly messing with my volume in the studio all day right but this is my job and i'm listening through really nice speakers and i'm in a treated room but um generally people on the radio i mean at least this is the ideology right is that or the the thought process is that when somebody hears something that's slightly quieter they'll just skip it well it's that is a psychological phenomenon isn't it where it's like you sort of just think oh louder is better but you get fatigued Mm. so you you can't maintain a constant level of just like slamming it without getting oral fatigue it's like you need those quiet moments and it's yeah it's a strange one you know but like like our natural response is like oh if something's louder it's better yeah but i'm so sick i'm so bored of having conversations with people it's like the worst thing someone can say to me is like Oh, sick mix, sick mix down, bro. It's like, I give a fuck about the mix down. I'd rather hear a tune that's got good vibes and a bit of a ropey mix because you can always get help with the mix rather than I've heard so much stuff where it's like, well, that's really clinically mixed, but you're, it's like literally like soulless garbage. Yeah, I would agree. There's songs that I love to listen to where the mix is like decent, but not like, I mean, I can hear issues with it, and but they don't bother me as much because the, the music is good. 
and then but there's then, other yeah thing I, I, where... I don't know i find i find now my life is like it's literally possible to do anything and so especially in the like doing electronic music like it's all so clean and clinical it's like i find myself having to add in noise and dirt and like contriving fuck ups mm. to humanize it and make it and give it a vibe whereas before it was sort of like oh you're trying to eliminate you know like hum and dc <laughs> offsetting stuff and all of this kind of shit it's like oh my god it's yeah it's bizarre we sort of completely flipped it around it's like mm. I find myself adding noise and weird crackle and hiss and all this other shit to just kind of give something some life and make it sound less clinical and less, you know, that, you know what was, what was the fucking Bieber thing? Expensive sounding sounds. What the fuck does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, honestly, I kind of know what that means. I, I'll... I, well, it means something to me, but what it means to me is probably not a, what it means to Bieber. You know, what he thinks sounds uh, expensive, I might think sounds cheap or cliche. Yeah, I'm just sort of like, oh, there's a lot of stuff I hear. It's like, oh, that's really well produced, but it's this soulless kind of trash, you know? And it's like, oh, you can, I don't know. I feel I can hear when someone, when somebody made something when they gave a fuck. I like stuff that's made when people actually made it because they wanted to make something and they are expressing something rather than just sort of being like soulless cash grabbers or whatever it is. You know, which is bad because the society is set up for the moment. It's like content farms, just churn out content, more content, more content. I'm like, oh, it's bad. Yeah, but also the plus side of that is you can go on a Spotify now and go to whatever genre you are into, hit the play button and on a daily basis get fed a hundred new songs from producers you've never heard of that fucking slap. No, absolutely. Those Liz's algorithms like fucking nailed it for me. I yeah, like yeah. I I I got fucked off with Spotify and quit it because I was like, I'd rather spend my, what is it, like nine, ten bucks a month, whatever the fuck it is. Um, I'd rather buy two albums off Bandcamp and give them the time and actually invest in it. Whereas I just found myself like just wanting to listen to more, 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 and more. And the Spotify suggestion stuff for me was like, oh, it's really nailed a lot of what I like and a lot of my favourite music I found has been through that algorithm nailing what it is that i like but then i hit the arbitrary ten thousand song limit so it was like a message popped up and it's like whoa epic collection friend you're gonna have to delete something it's like what the fuck <laughs> like, what literally arbitrary fucking limit on the amount of music i'm allowed okay so now i have to start deleting stuff that's this madness was on, this was on spotify yeah oh interesting i didn't know it's, that that was a it's ridiculous there's an you arbitrary can, limit i think it's about ten thousand songs you can listen so to 10,000 or you can favourite You can only 10, save like so many albums and so then I was having to make playlists and all of this stuff. I was like, this is ridiculous, you know. So I kind of sacked it off and was like, do you know what? I'm actually just going to spend that money and, you know, Bandcamp is the one. That's the way forward for me. Where yeah, like, Bandcamp you, is sick. Bandcamp is so good and that's literally like so that's keep, in the, keeping that's, me alive at the moment. Yeah, Bandcamp is also based here in San Fran. Yeah, they seem to. They literally seem to be the only company who have actually done something that is genuinely helping people out, like the Bandcamp Fridays, where they do their revenue, dude. That shit revenue has, share. Yeah, it's that's incredible. Been very cool. You know, yeah. where Spotify's like, what have you done? Nothing. <laughs> Apple Music, what have you done? Nothing. 
<laughs> you should just walk up to the CEO of Apple. Uh, what is his oh, name? Oh man, honestly, Wasn't I feel like sort of doing like a secret Tim Twitter Cook. account walk and up just to Tim kind Cook of and be like, yeah, what are you I'll just Nothing. literally like punch him in the bollocks and be like, fuck you. What have you done, Tim Cook? Nothing. <laughs> yeah, what have you done, fuck all dickhead? <laughs> Suck your mum. Classic. Fuck yeah, dude. Well, dude, it's been sick to have you on the podcast. It's been Oh man, awesome it's literally been that that's that's just pure non secretary waffle from my point, sorry. No no <laughs> No it's thread, been... no point, no nothing. <clears throat> I feel like we've made some points and I'm sure and... there's some little nuggets in there. Yeah. I mean I think mostly what this podcast is. So here's what I've come to the conclusion of, right? Like I'm not a scientist. None of my friends are scientists. It, this is not going to be like fucking a radio lab or it's not going to be like Joe Rogan who has like the best fucking authors on the planet and scientists and fitness instructors coming onto his podcast. For me, this is just like musicians talking. Man, shit, I man. love this podcast. It's it, This is a weird kind of <laughs> meta dream for me because I, I literally listen to this like when I walk my dog. And so yes. I've been listening to all of the all of the episodes and like listening. What, you know, what is the re- value that you get out of it? I like. I just really enjoy listening to well, like hearing other people's opinions on stuff. So it was like really interesting mm. listening to um, the episode the other day with Aaron Vector. Oh yeah, I love and then Vector. him talking about like how he's got cerebral palsy and how people mm. think he's completely fucking waved. And I'm like, <clears throat> you know, because I've got like <laughs> you can see I've got uh, Poland syndrome, so it's a congenital birth defect where it's like I've got one small hand but it affects my pectoral muscle and my right side and all this stuff and people you know people will be like oh haven't you done well it's like what do you mean haven't I done fucking well you lunatics it's like (laughs) I'm not disabled so I've just got like be glad that you've got two opposable thumbs you bastards (laughs) how amazing to have two thumbs great at least least you're not like uh Aaron, where people come up and be like, oh, are you on Molly all the time? <laughs> no, I, honestly, like every gig I've done where I used to wear, like I'd always wear a hat and a hoodie and everyone would come up to me and ask me if I was a shot. I'd be like, bro, have you got any pills? I'm just like, what? You've come to see me DJ, you dickhead. <laughs> you know, I, I, was like, I, I should have definitely been a drug dealer because I would have probably made a lot more money selling drugs <laughs> at my own shows. But it's like, fucking hell, it's just funny. You know. How much um, dexterity do you have with your small hand? Fuck all. Really? So, like, how do you she, go with Ableton and stuff like so that? So, I've got enough so I can do, like, shortcuts and things and have it set up. And then, like, you know, I've played drums since I was nine. And the way I do it is, like, I literally tie the drumstick to my arm with a shoelace. Oh, wow. Oh, dude, is- actually, there was a drummer in Australia. His name was Barry Shackleton. He used to play for this band called Emotion. And he had um, uh, even, it might have been the same defect, Pol- Poland or whatever. But he had like a waist, like he basically when he was a baby, one arm just didn't grow and the yeah. other one did. And he used to do the same thing. He'd tie a drumstick to his little baby yeah. arm and be able and to and you like, can just sort of, my, little, yeah. my little baby arm. <laughs> <laughs> it, it works well though like he was able well, it to fucking works and it's like oh yeah. and it's like oh i'm gutted because it's like oh i get annoyed like i get annoyed it's like oh i'm never going to be really amazing at the keys or i'm never going to be as good a drummer as i want to be because i haven't got the range of motion in my hand but if i wasn't born like this i'd probably just be some dickhead from south london who's like some towny fucking idiot well, that's the thing, right? There's, there's, better. So, there's people you know, who are disabled, like who don't, have, who born with no legs, who fucking would outrun most normal 
well, people, well, not normal, but yeah. most people who are born with their legs, right? So yeah, it's like, but that's it. That's why I'm like, practice, people practice like, um, gratitude Os for what you have. Dude, exactly. Like Oscar Opio and uh, so two things. Oscar Opio, he was born with ish an issue with one of his ears to the point where mm. he had to have an operation to where he like cannot hear in one ear anymore. So he's basically deaf completely in one ear. And he fucking makes music, right? And I talked to him about that one day. I was like, how do you feel about that? Like not being able to hear in one ear? And he said the same thing. He was like, fuck it. I mean, like there's people who will outrun me in a marathon who are born with no limbs. Um, and there's another thing that he says all the time, which I've talked about on this podcast once with Tom Cosm, uh, which is a saying that he tweeted once. And I remember it all the time because it helps me a lot, uh, which was that if you can't be grateful for what you've got, then you'll never be grateful for what you get. Yeah. And I think that's a great way to look Absolutely. at life. Absolutely. Man, like totally. It's like just practicing gratitude for what you have because there was one point in time where you dreamed about what you have right now. It was a dream and like now you've got it and it's like, oh shit, you need to take a step back and just be like, oh fuck, I got what I want. You know, once upon a time I was dreaming about this and now I have it and mm, it's But really also your important. desires and goals change, right? It's like at yeah, the same time it's, it's like... A, yeah. You know, like growing yeah, we'll, with, we'll, yeah, sorry, go on. It's no, yeah, it's all, it's all relative and it's all like, oh, well, what do you want out of life and what is it? And it's like, you know, I try and think like, oh, keep it simple and I don't want much. I'm like, as long as I've got my little pod and yeah, as I was saying, can make tunes, I'm happy. I don't care about stuff. Like it's not about the acquisition of stuff for me. So, you know, and that really riles certain people up where it's like, no, don't, why aren't you driven? Why don't you want more of that? And it's like, well, I don't give a fuck. You can't make me care. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, speaking of your tunes, I listened to that Cloudfall EP that you sent through this morning. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, when you woke up, it was in my inbox. So I downloaded that and it was the first thing I listened to today and it's sick. I really like it. Hey, thanks, man. No, I was literally just like, I want to make some liquid drum and bass and they come in little batches. So I just kind of made them. So I'm going to chuck that one out on friday which will be like a, the band camp friday yeah so nice. the next one which, that's coming up which date is that that is uh the that's second the, i think it's the second isn't it yeah second yeah. Of october cool so well, this podcast comes out, out this podcast comes out on thursday so for people who are listening to this then tomorrow is the day that it will come out for them nice if you like weird <laughs> liquid drum and bass with odd chords that's yeah. me.com that's just one aspect you know <laughs> but then yeah i'm just sort of trying to finish up like another slug wife ep and a million other things and then doing all yeah you know it's uh, yeah i've done a lot of stuff i've got like a secret website called alexmeliasound.com where it's yes. my little repository of all the things i've done because i did like some video game work and advertising work and all of this stuff and it's like oh it's good to you know it's good practice to get out of your comfort zone so like i did this video game work where it's like i literally had to learn how to use wise you're familiar uh, with that yeah. program yeah it's kind of yeah. like f mod or whatever yeah there's like f mod and wise and whatever but like literally learning it as i was doing like watching the tutorials and having to implement this stuff while i was working on this project it's like fuck me it's like seat of your pants shit but it's a good way to learn it's the same like i think adam neely was talking about it on an episode of this podcast where it's like oh you, you know learning about he uses making a video as an excuse to learn about the thing he's making the video about it's like oh that's yeah. a great philosophy in life you know yeah so like, learn I mean, as you do yeah i've been slacking on that side of things i need to get back into youtube more and that was one of the things yeah he inspired me by saying that because i was like fuck i should use my youtube channel more as a as a 
reason to learn new shit. I've been reading a lot of books lately, though, so I have been learning a lot of new shit, but haven't been. It's hard, it's hard, man. You know, it's like, again, there's not enough hours in the day. There's only so much time you can dedicate. We're all trying to, all just trying our best and all just, yeah, it's, it's, right. you know. <clears throat> Yeah, speaking of hours in the day, I should get back to my fucking stock take spreadsheet and keep going through it. Oh, mate, that year far too organized for me. I'm literally like Mr. Chaos, where it's just sort of like, so, oh, do. <laughs> no, the, so am I. And this is the, I've been that way for far too long. And recently I've been like, I have all the time in the world right now because there's no shows. So I might yeah. as well do this thing that I always think about because I always have this like, lovely idea that everything will be like organized one day on my hard drive and i'll like you know, log onto my computer and everything will be where it should be and i can just make music very freely and not have oh, to worry. fuck it <laughs> i know matter. i mean i've, I've had that as long as it works that's the thing i keep looking one one day i will sort out my gmail account as i look at it and it's like seventeen thousand unread emails <laughs> <laughs> now it's a point of issue where i'm just like oh, how ridiculous can this go <laughs> you know how, well, that's the thing. It's like it does work. Like I get music out. I get a lot of music written and finished and released. But it just works. Like it barely works. But you're doing good, you know, and you're making it work. And that's it. That's all you can ask for. So it's kind of yeah, just be like, be nice to yourself. I think I everyone definitely, should do that. Like, yeah, I think I'm pretty patient with myself. And but I also this is another thought I have a lot is when I am very patient with myself and I'm like, oh, it's working, it's fine. Is that to some degree I'm just accepting mediocrity, whereas I'm like, but if I did get organised, how much better could it do? You yeah, know? I don't know. It's hard. I'm sure they again mash this analogy or there's a thing that's like, oh, there's a there, there's a man. So there's a guy sitting on a beach relaxing after having a day's fishing and then a, and then like a an entrepreneur comes next to him he's like oh why are you just relaxing on the beach like oh if you if you fish some more then and you could earn some more money and then you could hire some more people to get more fish and then you could kind of build your company up and then get loads of money and then you could relax on the beach and he's like but i'm already relaxing on the beach so right <laughs> what, 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 what the fuck and he's so, like, I mean, but then you could relax on the beach every day. And then he's like, like, I could do I that do, anyway. Well, I'm doing that already. So, you know, it's like, right. where does it end? Where's yeah. the end goal for all of this? Yeah, that's you a know. good point. That's a good way to look you at know, it. I, I, firm, I firmly believe that every um, politician should be um, made to go and spend a week on the ISS <laughs> the International Space Station because so it's like hit with the realization. I, I watched the uh, I watched a really good. There's a short film on Vimeo called Overview, and like all yep. the the overview effects. Yeah, yep. amazing stuff. And I'm like, please, for the love of God, I want to go into space before we die because I want to see that because it's like we are on like Mothership Earth, and it's not mm. sort of pseudoscience hippie bullshit. It's a real psychological effect. Where it's like, oh, you actually see the Earth as one thing, and really just completely will change your perspective on everything and it's like you know i need to look up okay here we go the overview effect is a cognitive Mm. shift in awareness reported by some astronauts during space flight often while viewing the earth from outer space it is the experience of seeing firsthand the reality of earth in space which is immediately understood to be a tiny fragile ball of life hanging in the void shielded and nourished by a paper thin atmosphere from space, Absolutely. national boundaries vanish, the conflicts that divide people become less important, and the need to create a planetary society 
with the united will to protect this pale blue dot becomes both obvious and imperative. And then this is a, a quote from a guy called Michael Collins. He says, the thing that really surprised me was that it, the earth, projected an air of fragility and why, I don't know. I don't know to this day. I had this feeling that it's tiny, it's shiny, it's beautiful, it's home and it's fragile. Yep, absolutely. I'm like, it's so important. And I yeah, think it would be really cool to have politicians all experience this. They, they sure. should have to do that. Like, I think it should be mandatory. <laughs> yeah, that, that would actually put quite a barrier to entry on becoming a politician. It'd be like, so to become a politician, you have to get in this tin can and we have to shoot you out of a cannon into the sky at <laughs> hundreds of miles per hour, right? Do you yeah. still want to be president? Or if, you know, or if we can, um, you know, build a space elevator or something. Or That would instantly delete people being over the age of basically 55 being to become a politician. Like, I mean, no, can, can you imagine? If you can, you know, it, I, I can't see it being too far off. Can you imagine those shooting happened. somebody as frail as Joe Biden or Donald Trump into space? Like the G forces <laughs> alone would like crush their fucking. But heads. I don't think I didn't think they were the the G forces were too much when they were actually strapped into the rocket. I didn't. It's not like you know. I think pretty. I mean, it's enough to make most people black out. But then, well, I suppose they've got different like pressure suits and stuff, and it's sort of like it's where. It, it kind of squeezes your legs and stuff to stop the blood pooling and all of this kind of stuff. But yeah, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> all right, man. Well, fuck. Thanks for coming on. That was an oh, mate, awesome conversation. It's been an absolute pleasure. Sorry for my endless waffle and all no, of that No, you're stuff. good, man. That's exactly <laughs> what we should be doing, endless waffles. You know, <laughs> it's like, as I say, I thoroughly enjoy this podcast and you're doing good stuff. I was sort of like had similar ideas. I was like, oh, you've done it. I don't need to do it because you're doing it. Great. <laughs> brilliant and i really like hearing everyone's kind of take on things and you know it's then i've learned a lot from listening to everyone on this podcast i'd love to listen to a rezo podcast i feel like you'd talk to a lot of like og dub steppers and stuff and i think that'd be super Possibly, interesting maybe one day we'll get round to it you know it's on the list yeah. it's on the to-do list it's in the <clears> pile <throat> but mm. i'm fucking lazy so <laughs> one Fair thing thought. at a time well absolute pleasure my friend like keep keep doing what you're doing you're fucking smashing it well do cheers man have a good one hey thanks for listening to the mr bill podcast these episodes are edited and uploaded by robert fumo of 303podpro.com you can also support the show get early access to episodes and hear bonus content by going to patreon.com forward slash mr bill's tunes and becoming a patron uh, please rate and review on iTunes unless you're going to be a little shit about it. And all the links to my various platforms are at mrbillstunes.com. Thank you. I'm a